Uh, well, I want to welcome you again. Uh, if we've not met, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor. Welcome to those here uh, at our 930 Cornerstone services at the Well uh, and the Well Cafe. If you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to open that to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible with you, you'll find John 4 on page 1652 uh, in the, the Bibles that we have available in all of our worship spaces uh, here today. Uh, as you can tell, we had a great week here uh, on our campus and uh, as students serve throughout our community, we had 24 work teams who uh, not only served here in the Mansfield area, but surrounding communities doing lots of different projects. Uh, one of the, those that uh, I thought was really neat because it gives you a chance to see their craftsmanship uh, is uh, as you leave today, or please make notice or take notice of the new fence uh, along the side of our campus. Uh, we had five work teams who worked to, to rebuild that entire length of fence, uh, which not only is beautiful for us to see, uh, but it's also just a way in which we sought to be a blessing to our neighbors. And I just think that's so neat because sometimes churches forget to bless those who are closest to them. And that's a neat expression of that. But a great, great week. We had 16 brand new uh, work team adults, new volunteers who gave their time this week. Again, over 300 uh, all together adults and youth, the largest number of special needs uh, students who are part of this year's uh, mission trip. It was a great, uh, great week. And I want to tell you a little bit more about uh, not only what our kids did, but what they heard over the course of this week. Uh, because when, you, when we have something like this, I know you see a video like that and you think, well, that's just really good. Our kids finally got some work done. I mean, those, those teenagers, they said, we finally found some good teenagers in the world who are doing some great things in the world. And, and we may just think, well, that's just, that's just really good. But I want, uh, I want what happened this week and what our students not only did, but also what they heard, I want it to be an inspiration to you as well as you think about your life and your faith uh, and why we believe service is such an essential part of being a follower of Jesus. Why we hold as a core value that serving Jesus means serving others. Why we do things like United Mission Week, uh, why we participate in things like Feed the Kids for Summer uh, and Habitat for Humanity and Feed by Grace Homeless Ministry and Hands of Christ Ministry that does projects throughout our community. Why we do all of these things uh, and, and why we believe it's essential uh, to the life of faith. Uh, this week, I got the chance to share at the final worship service on, on Thursday night, but the four messages before that uh, were shared by Amanda, uh, who you heard in the video. Amanda, uh, if you do not know, this was her last hurrah in student ministry. She's uh, worked for us for six years, uh, but prior to that, uh, all-inclusive, uh, she uh, has been working in student ministry for 20 years, and she's actually here this morning at our 930 service, but people at the Well and Well Cafe don't know that. So you have to come up here, okay? I'm sorry, but it's just the whole way the video works. I've got to embarrass you, and she's got to come up here. Uh, so don't, don't applaud yet, okay? Just hold off, and just think about 20 years working with middle school children, <laughs> boys, girls. Now you may give a hand to Amanda for her great work. See, and now wave to the well in the well cafe. Are you good? 
Yeah, yeah, we're good. Cause you, but you had to come up because they were like, she didn't come up here today. She's got to be so exhausted. But uh, again, 20 years, she's moving into a new role in our staff, which we're really excited about. You're going to get to receive uh, even more of uh, the blessing of her work as she works as our communication director and, and partners with us in, in all of our uh, series that we share over the course of the year. Uh, we're excited about that, but also uh, want to thank her for, for a great career working with students. Uh, but this week, uh, our students heard about being brave being loud, being kind, being still, and being you. And if you, if you want proof that, that Amanda has done this for multiple decades, that was on full display Sunday night before our kids went to their work sites for their very first day of work. Uh, she talked about being brave and, and as they prepared, many of them to, to work with power tools for perhaps the first time, she shared this quote, there is a distinction between being brave and being stupid. To me, there's a fine line, she said, between being brave and being, being stupid. Again, that's the voice of wisdom. That's the voice of experience working with students. Uh, there's a difference between being brave and being stupid. I know that word may sound a little bit shocking, but sometimes you have to shock students a little bit to get their attention. Being brave, Amanda said, is about being stretched. That was the idea of the rubber band, that, uh, that we get stretched, and the greater the stretch, the greater the risk. But when Christ is on the other side of that rubber band, when we've grounded our lives in Christ, we're, we're safe. We're safe and secure when we've, we've grounded our lives in him. She talked about being loud, which some of you are thinking that's like the default volume for most uh, students, uh, but the loudness that she spoke about was the idea of over the course of the week being loud in love. The power of the work that they were doing, the way in which uh, the community would take notice of, of, of that work because of the, the power of it together. She talked about the spirit that lives in us is not a spirit that leads to timidity, but a spirit that leads to power. Kindness. Uh, Amanda said this about kindness, that uh, we live in a world that uh, we need, let me get this right, the world needs less people talking about being kind and more people actually being kind. That kindness, the challenge that she shared, kindness isn't just something that you should talk about, but rather to make, make kindness who you are and how you live each and every day in the world. A Wednesday, we got to be still, which after three days of working in 110 degree heat, you would think being still sounds pretty good, right? Uh, they're moving a little bit slower on Wednesday, uh, but Amanda talked about the purpose in stillness. It's not just turning our brains off and taking a nap, but in stillness, we seek God. We seek to know God in deeper and a more full way. So there's purpose in that, in that stillness. And then the last night again, we talked about being you. The struggle to be you begins with the question, who are you? You heard that question uh, in the video. It was one that was asked all week, who are you? You just think about the way that we usually answer that question. We usually answer that question based on what we do, what we're interested in, or the relationships that we have, the group that we're a part of. And so someone says, who are you? And I would say, well, I'm Dave and I'm a pastor. Uh, and to my interests are I like to read and I like to run. I, I'm a fairly boring person. There you go. But that's, that's how I might describe myself. You might describe yourself in a, in a similar way. And that's, that's fine. Most of the time, the relationships that we develop, the, the groups that we're a part of are, are, are those that are around similar interests and, and, and similar activities that we do. And, and really, there's nothing wrong with that. But there are a couple ways where that can go wrong, where an understanding of our identity that's based on what we do or what we're interested in or who our relationships are, what group we're part of, a couple ways where we can go wrong in this. And, and, and here's the first way that, that the vision that we have for our life, your vision begins to shrink. Uh, 
Your vision begins to shrink, and as your vision shrinks, your world shrinks. And, and so you think about what you do, and, and it's not only what you do, but you think, this is all I'm ever going to do. Or you think about your life, your interests, you think, this is what I'm interested in, this is all I'm really interested in. And, and we begin to withdraw from life into what we know and who we know. And that's about all we want to deal with because our vision, our world is is, is shrinking because of the way that we identify ourselves and understand who we really are. And, and while you may not be able to recognize this in your own life, I bet you can think of somebody else and you can say, well, I see it in them. And that's okay because if they're here, they're thinking about you. That's totally fine. You can think about them. But you know what I mean? The idea of our vision beginning to shrink, our world beginning to shrink, we, we find ourselves saying, I can't do that because I don't do that. It's not, it's not who I am. It's not what I do, it's, it's not what I've ever done in my life, and so that's, that's, just, not, that's just not me. Or, or we find ourselves in a place where uh, we, we define ourselves so clearly around a relationship or a group of people that losing your people means that you lose yourself. Or, or losing what you do means that you really lose yourself because our identity has become so wrapped up in what we do or what we're interested in or what, what group we're a part of that we find ourselves losing ourselves. And so you think about students who graduate from high school and leave behind all of those relationships that they once had. They leave behind the activities that were so much a part of their life and they make that transition and they say, I don't even know who I am anymore. Or you go through a transition in, in your life, whether it's moving to a new community or the loss of a loved one or, or going through a divorce and rebuilding your life in, in that way, or you make that transition from a career that's defined you for decades to this whole new thing called retirement and you find yourself saying, well, who am I? What is my life? What is my life really all about? And because that whole idea of losing ourselves is so scary, here's perhaps the worst thing that can happen is that we lose ourselves for the sake of preserving relationship, maintaining relationship. So this is the story I share with our students. When I was a senior in high school, I had two groups of friends. I had my church friends and I had my school friends. And our family had moved after my freshman year of high school. So I sort of lost my people and had to find new people which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It was a good thing to go through. It helped grow me, but, but it, was, it was hard to do. And I ended up with these two groups of friends. There wasn't a lot of crossover between these two groups of friends. These are the ones I saw at church. These are the ones I saw at school. At school, it was all my friends who were on the basketball team. That's what I did. If you'd asked me at that time, who are you, David? I'm, I'm David, I play basketball. That's what I do. But these friends didn't really interact with one another. And I didn't really understand at that time how different I was depending on which group I was spending time with. Until so my senior year in high school, before our first basketball game, uh, someone uh, made the suggestion that we should pray before the game. And it wasn't because these guys were religious people, it was because we were bad and we thought we'll do anything we can. You know, maybe we'll, let's just pray, let's do whatever we can, because we're terrible. And someone else made the suggestion just so we could kind of get through the awkwardness, like let's just pick somebody who's gonna pray before every game. Let's pick one of us to be the chaplain for the team. And I thought to myself, well, I know who they're going to pick. They're going to pick me. You know, because that's what I had done at youth group. I prayed all the time. That was a part of my life. And, and, and I, I had decided that when they said my name, I was going to play it cool. You know, like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll do Yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to do that. But everyone around the room just kind of looked at each other. And then someone finally said, well, we all know who this needs to be. 
And they said, it's got to be Jared. And everyone else said, yeah, it's got to be Jared. And I thought to myself, why didn't anybody think about me? You see, at that time in my life, I'd already felt a call to ministry. Faith was, was already a significant part of my life. It had already made a significant impact on my life. I was the preacher's kid. I, I thought I was the natural choice, and yet none of these friends even thought about me. And I realized it was because, well, there was this part of my life that I had never allowed to be a part of this other part of my life. Because I, I just wasn't really willing to take that risk. The risk of how they might respond to that, of, of, of whether or not they would still accept me. I could still be a part of the group, if I would still have the value that I felt like I had because I was, I was a part of this, this group of people. It was a moment that just kind of floored me and, 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 and really rocked my world thinking, well, what, how, how can I in any way feel like this is where I'm going in my life if none of these friends, none of these friends even thought about me in this? I had been living in those, those two different worlds. So who are you? Who really are you? And how do you begin to answer that question? Well, John chapter 4, we find an encounter uh, an encounter that someone has with Jesus. The Gospel of John, one of the unique things about it is, is the way in which it, uh, it has these specific encounters chapter by chapter. In John chapter 4, here's the context of this encounter. Jesus is traveling with his disciples from Jerusalem up to uh, the, the area surrounding the Sea of Galilee. He's passing through Samaria and, and he is there at Jacob's well. And Jesus, verse 6, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And then we get to verse 7. And in verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, a couple things that are strange here. It's really abnormal. The first is that in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, there is a woman who has come with her water jars to draw water. This was not the time to do that, okay? This is not the time where you would engage in this practice. This is what everyone from the nearby community would come and do at the end of the day when the sun was going down and the evening breeze was, uh, was there. In the cool of the day was when you came to the well to draw water. That's when everyone did it. Well, this woman is not there at the end of the day. She's there in the middle of the day, the heat of the day. And what we realize later on in the, in the exchange is she's there because she's not welcome with the group who comes at the end of the day. She has lost those relationships. She's lost her people. She's someone who fa has found herself at a place where she's, her, her life is a mess and no one wants to be a part of the mess. And so in the heat of the day, when no one else was there, she has come all alone to draw the water that she needs to take back to to her home. That's the first thing that's a little bit strange is that she's there all by herself in the middle of the day. The other thing that John points out to us is this is a Samaritan woman. And as you may know, Samaritans and Jews, Jesus was a Jew. These two groups of people did not get along. There was incredible animosity between the two of them. They didn't engage with one another. They didn't talk to one another. If they were to be passing by one another on the side of the road, one of them would move to the other side of the street because there was such animosity between these two groups of people. And so when Jesus comes and says, will you give me a drink? This woman's confused. She's really surprised. And the only logical explanation she could have imagined would be this. He just doesn't know who I am. 
He doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know the mess that my life is in. He doesn't know that I'm a Samaritan and uh, he doesn't realize that as a Jew, this isn't, this isn't normal. The only logical explanation must have been that, that he didn't know. But look at verse 10. Uh, in response to her surprise, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, she assumes that Jesus is engaging with her because, well, she just doesn't know, he just doesn't know who I am. But Jesus begins this conversation by, by flipping the conversation and saying, no, 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 you don't know who I am. It's not about whether I know who you are, it's that you don't know who I am. So he essentially starts with this, if you knew me, if you knew me, if you knew who I really was, if you knew what, what I could give to you, and over the course of the conversation, it goes all the way to verse 26, you can read that whole conversation later. But over the course of that conversation, this is essentially what Jesus says to her, if you knew me, you would know that I know the real you. I know who you think you are, but I know who you really are. I know everything that you have ever done in your life. I know all of those things that you would want to pack into the resume of great things that have happened in your life that you've been a part of. And I know everything that you want to keep hidden away. I know your talents. I know your shortcomings. I know the, the, the marvelous things that have happened. I know the mistakes that you've made. I know the mess. I, I, know, I know everything about you. And if you look at verse 28, verse 28 and 29, this is, this is a summary that John offers for us of this conversation. Uh, then leaving her water jar, remember why she'd come, she'd come to draw water, but she leaves that behind. The woman went back to the town, the town that had rejected her and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now keep in mind, this is a woman whose life was a mess, who had lost her community, someone who came to the well in the middle of the day all by herself. The worst thing for her would have been for someone to tell her everything that she has ever done. But it's not about her anymore. It's not about her past. It's not about her mistakes. It's not about everything else that has happened in her life. It's about who she has found and the gift that he has offered to her. The gift of what Jesus says is living water. So, so here is the main idea of what I share with our students and, and what I want to share with you. If, you. if you are to be you, you cannot be you until you discover that your life is not about you. If you, for you to be you, you cannot be you until you discover that life is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about all the things that we assume life is about. It's not about building our kingdom. It's not about pursuing our hopes and our dreams. It's, 
It's not about any of those things. It's not about the sum total of our successes and our sorrows, the things that have gone well and the things that have not gone well, the, uh, the things that we do that we think add value, the relationships that we're part of that we think are, are so meaningful and add value to our life, our interests. It's not about any of those things. It's not about you. The easiest way to waste your life, just make it about you. It's a dead-end road. It's empty promises, it's false hopes, it's the mirage in the sand, and yet so many of us find ourselves on that road, pursuing a life that's about us, a life that's about our hopes and our dreams and our needs, making sure that we're taken care of. But that's also why the experience of serving others the moments that our students had over the course of this last week and moments perhaps that you have had in your life where you have intentionally sacrificed for someone, where you have given yourself in a sacrificial, servant-hearted way, that's why those moments are so critical to living your life as a follower of Jesus because those are the moments when you bump into the real you. There are moments that when you try to describe them to others, you, you can't even do it. You can't even articulate quite what it was like, what it meant. You can't really describe the fullness of that moment. You can't really describe the meaning and the significance. You just, you just talk about that it was amazing, it was awesome. I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. I spoke to someone last night who just got back from our, our, our team that went to Rwanda and I, and I told her, I said, I, I, said I, I told you it was gonna be awesome, right? And she's like, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, uh, it, there's no words. It's hard to describe because those are the moments where we are bumping into our true selves, where we are experiencing ourselves as we were always meant to be. We're tapping into how God crafted and shaped us. Those are those moments when God is saying, yes, yes, this, this is what your life was always supposed to be about. Not about you. Not about you, but about being caught up in this movement of people who partnering with God are seeking to build God, build God's better world and who are sold out to the idea that the meat, the value, the real meaning of their life is something that will, that will echo long beyond their own temporary lives, long beyond the scope of our existence. Life is not about you. And again, you may think, well, I am sure glad you told our students that. Thank you for telling my son or daughter that because they need that reminder. But don't we all, don't we all need to be reminded that life is not about ourselves. When we serve others, we meet Jesus. That's what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. He talks about when you went to prison, when you, uh, when you fed the hungry, when you clothed the naked. Jesus said, you were serving me. And, uh, and in this parable, the, the people say, when was this? this? He said, what you did for others, you did for me. When we serve others, we meet Jesus. But when we meet Jesus, we meet our true selves. Jesus reveals to us who we really are. Jesus reveals to us knowing everything that we've ever done, everything that we think is valuable and everything we'd like to forget. And Jesus meets us with 
these promises, this identity. You are a child of God. And you are loved by God. You are a child of God. And you are loved by God. You are a child of God and you are loved by God. And your life, the purpose of your life is sharing that with the world. That you are a child of God. And you are loved by God. So let me just share with you my most recent reminder of this. A couple weeks ago, I was visiting uh, with a member of our church uh, who over the course of about two years had been uh, dealing with leukemia. Uh, it a, 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 was someone who I was there in the, just happened to be there in the hospital room when the doctor came and shared with, with her and her husband that diagnosis and been with him at many stages along the way. And I was there with her that day to talk about the end, because that's what she knew was coming. That's what the doctors had said. There's nothing more we can do. And so she wanted to talk about the end. And she wanted to ask me some questions. And of course, I said the same thing. I say to everyone, I said, hey, I don't have like the secret answer book, but I can tell you what I believe. And she shared with me that she wasn't ready to quit the fight. She wasn't ready to, to give up. She wasn't ready to really accept that this was the end because she had a lot of life to live. She had two kids at home that she couldn't imagine not being there for the rest of their life as they continued to grow in their life. And what we talked about is we, uh, the, the, the image that I share with her is just the image of maybe you've done this as a, as a kid, uh, you're surrounded by a group of people and you, you've done what's called a trust fall. You just kind of lean back and you trust that the people who are around you are going to catch you. I said, here's what I believe. You don't have to quit fighting, but I want you to know that in the end, God's going to catch you. And everything's going to be okay. And this is what she said to me. No, this is so surprising. I wasn't expecting this response. She said to me, do you have to have this conversation with people a lot? And again, I wasn't ready for the question. I was a little bit taken aback. And I said, well, I guess so. Yeah, I, I do. And, and she, because this is just who she was, it's just what her life was about, the way in which her, her heart had been shaped by her, by her life of faith in Jesus. What she said to me as I am seeking to bless her as she is preparing for her own end, she said to me, that must be so hard. That just must be so hard. I said, well, it's hard, but, but it's also a blessing to me because it reminds me that this is my faith, this is my life. It was a moment that wasn't about me at all, a moment that was only about her, a reminder of what faith is always about. When we meet Jesus, when we serve others, we meet Jesus. When we meet Jesus, we meet our true selves. So here's what I want to invite you to do today. I want to invite you to turn to the person next to you, and I want to invite you to say to them, you are a child of God right now. You are a child of God. And say to them, you are loved by God. And now I want you to turn to the person on the other side of you and say, you are a child of God. And say, you are loved by God. And I just want to say I appreciate that those of you who are sitting far away from one another are going, you are a child of God over there. And you are loved. Now. Here's, here's, how I want, here's how I want to close. I want about you just to close your eyes. 
And I want to invite you to, to say this, and I want to invite you to say it out loud. I am a child of God. I am loved by God. I am a child of God. I am loved by God. I am a child of God. I am loved by God. Let's pray. Loving God, we are so grateful for all the experiences that our youth and adults had the chance to be a part of this week in United Mission Week. We're grateful, Lord, for uh, the nights of worship that they shared in here, the messages that were shared. We, we're grateful, Lord, for the way in which over the course of this week, many of these young people had the chance to bump into their real selves, to, to get a picture of what their life is is all about. And Lord, we pray that the power of those moments, the experiences that they have had, we pray, Lord, that it would also give them the courage to continue pursuing that way of life. We pray, Lord, that you would surround them with those, uh, uh, those adults and mentors necessary to encourage them and continue to strengthen them as they live into this understanding of what their lives are all about. But Lord, we also, out of our appreciation for what happened in their life, what this week meant, we also, Lord, pray for that same inspiration to happen in our own lives that you, Lord, by your grace, would reveal to us who we really are, what life is really all about, and that if, Lord, we're on a path heading in the wrong direction, chasing after a false promise, an empty hope, that you, Lord, would bring us back to the reality of what the fullness of life is all about. I pray, Lord, that you will bless those here who may be in a time of transition in their life. They may be grieving the loss of a loved one, grieving the loss of a hope or a dream that has, been, uh, that has had to be set aside, whatever that might be, Lord. I pray that you will bless them in that time. For anyone here who's asking that question, who am I, who am I? That you, Lord, would, by your spirit, you would supply that answer, but also, Lord, you would move us, any of us who find ourselves in a place of complacency, you would move us into not only thinking about that question, but acting on it. Being caught up in, a, in an action of service and sacrifice, having the chance to experience those moments that are not about us, but moments that do reveal our true selves. Lord, help our entire church, even as you continue to help our students, to be brave, to be loud, to be kind, to be still, to be who you have called them to be, to be who you've called each of us to be. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.